Or Chuck Swindoll tells a story about when he was a kid uh, of his high school football team in Houston, Texas. They had this great quarterback, a similar situation. Donald Carpenter was his name. And his team, they thought that they would win the state. Every play went to him. Everything was designed to leverage his skills. He was by far the best individual player in the state, and he was on their team. And they went 6-0, and and they had a fantastic season going. And then he got hurt. What happened? Well, Chuck Swindoll tells the story. Carpenter broke his ankle. They lost that game and every other game for the rest of the season. You see, football is a team sport. They had a superstar and a supporting cast. They didn't have a team. You know, church is also a team sport. Church is a team sport. For every great football movie, uh, Rudy and We Are Marshall and Remember the Titans, you know these movies, right? Uh, they are these great movies where the team unifies and realizes that they are better together, as that song started us at the beginning. They are better together than all of their individual parts alone. Even if it's the you know, really bad like made-for-TV movies where the, uh, the golden retriever comes in as a wide receiver at the end of the game and wins the big game. Or, or like Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. I'm sure that they made a football movie at some point. But at the end of the day, it comes back to, is the team going to unify? Can they play as a team? Each of these stories, goofy as they are, they demonstrate the power of unity among people, the power of becoming one. What the world needs today is a church that understands that power of becoming one. We need to cultivate and protect the unity that God has given us. So, if church is a team sport, why would we ever choose to go it alone? Here's the church. Our mission statement is that we would glorify God by making disciples of all nations. How will you do individually on reaching all nations? How many disciples will you reach? How many people, if you are a stellar star athlete, how far can you go? You can't really get that far. You might get a little bit out of western New York, but after that, it's going to fall apart. If church is a team sport, why do we choose to go it alone? This morning, we're going to deal with some things regarding church membership. Uh, there are a variety of different types of people here in this room, most likely, when I talk about church membership. Those are committed members of the local church. That may be this church. That may be another church. And so when we dive into this passage here today, you are going to be encouraged about what the Bible says about being connected to the part of the local church. There's going to be some of you here are folks who are not committed to the local church. You're here visiting, you're from out of town, or you're shopping around trying to figure out what church that you're going to be part of. I want to encourage you today that God's Word is going to show you what it means to be part of the team and why it matters and why you should be connected and see the importance of being a member in the local church. There's a variety of you here today, most likely, who don't know Christ who don't know what this is all about or why it would be important. I would pray that through Scripture you're going to see the church is what Jesus died on the cross for. This was his most important thing, and so it has great value. And what you have maybe as a stigma in your mind of what the church has become, and when you see people squabble and fight, that's not what God designed the church to be. And so we're going to look here in Scripture today at the salvation that Jesus Christ brings and why he has brought that to the local church. So if you've got your Bibles, we are going to be in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. So it's in the New Testament. Find your way to Ephesians. We will be here for the next number of weeks. If you were here earlier in the spring, we started the book of Ephesians, and now we're picking up where we left off in chapter 4. 
Ephesians is a book that the Apostle Paul wrote to Ephesus. Uh, While he was there physically, there was a riot because of what he was preaching, and he was basically asked, asked, he was thrown out of the city. And so now as this church is beginning to thrive and he's sending back this letter to tell the church what to do, he's not dealing with, in some of the other epistles, we see him dealing with problems and situations that need to be dealt with. Here he's encouraging them to mature spiritually and to take additional steps. So he's speaking to a healthy local church. As we read this this morning, I pray that that would be our perception as we look at this, that there is something for you and I to learn here as a church that is growing, that's established, it's here, but it needs to grow and it needs to thrive and it needs to mature. And as we dig in here, we look at the importance of membership in the local church. We need to think about some of the things, this terminology perhaps that you've heard before, and some of you are in this category, the idea of dating the church. In a consumer-driven society, we have that. We are looking for uh, what we're, the best product at the best price. And some people will find themselves church shopping. They're looking for the best product on a Sunday morning. They go one church to the next. They stay a little while. They see if the programs fit them, and then they move on. And every other week, maybe they substitute some activities at this church, and they find some activities at this church. That's dating the church, or church hopping, or church shopping, you'll call it. There's a lot of reasons why people will date the church. We'll say, I love Christ, I'm growing in my relationship with Christ, and I don't want the local church to bog me down. Have you heard that before? Or I've I've fallen in love with Jesus Christ, I just don't love the church. See, there's a problem with that. Do you realize that the church is called the bride of Christ? So let's, let's personalize this a little bit then. If it's called the bride of Christ, what if I came up to you men? You said, man, I love you. I enjoy spending time with you. I just don't like your wife. And he's going to give you a big, he's like, yeah, that's cool. Let's hang out. That's fine. No, I just don't like her. I can't stand her. Would you take that as a compliment from me? The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Again, men. Your wives, they come up to you and they say, man, I love you, you complete me, I cannot stand your body. Again, husbands, you're like, wow, thank you. Um, I, I was hoping, okay, here we are, right? I've been doing 10 push-ups every morning. Okay, no, what we, it's ridiculous to say that you love Christ, but you don't love his church. It's the bride, it's the body of Christ. We need to stop dating the church. We need to wake up, smell the coffee, and realize we need to stop dating the church. Some of, some of you, I just said smell the coffee, and some of you are like, oh, is there coffee? Yeah. There is coffee in the back after the service, yes. Uh, with Folgers in your cup, the best part of waking up, yes. Uh, and they didn't ask me for that spot this morning. Anyway. The church, wake up. The church is God's one and only plan to reach the world. This is it. This is his plan, is the local church to evangelize the world. We're sitting in it. So if church is a team sport, why would we choose to go it alone? Well, I think because we've missed it. 
We've missed it. We, we drove down to Baton Rouge and, and we spent, we decided last minute because the way the vehicles were going to put four of us in, a, in the, the pickup truck and, and go 23 hours now there's two rows, but still, 23 hours in the truck. And so you, your back is hurting. Everything hurts. You can't move. You know, I'm not that tall. So Cliff, he was in trouble. But like, I mean, I couldn't even put my feet down on the floor in the back of this pickup. He was in, in a bad, bad place. But anyway, so you're going down. You don't want to miss an exit that might cost you hours of travel after that. And so there was a couple of times, one time in particular, where that, you know, big Dodge truck and the trailer and everything else, you know, merged four lanes at one time and might have taken a cone out at the corner on the way across. And uh, you don't want to miss an exit. So this morning, we don't want to miss these things. But I believe if, if you haven't fallen in love with the local church, you've missed a couple. The first one. We've missed the basics. These are fill-ins for you. We've missed the basics of biblical unity. We've missed the basics of biblical unity, and we'll define that this morning as community. We've missed the basics of biblical unity, community. This is chapter 4 of Ephesians, beginning in verse 1. It says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Worthy of this calling. Other ways, live a way that is proper in regards to what God has done for you. Live as a proper response to the gospel. Do you see this? The unity and love for Christians for one another is the natural organic response of one who is following after Christ, one who lives by the gospel. If you get the gospel, you will be unified. And when you miss the gospel, that is when you start to tear apart or neglect the body of Christ. If you relish a fight, you don't understand the gospel. You've missed it. If you enjoy gossip, you don't understand the gospel. You've missed it. If you don't naturally want to connect with others and be involved in their lives and minister them, you don't know the gospel that we see here in Scripture. You've missed the basics of the gospel. Community. Verse 4, check this out. There's one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and the Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We've been united with God through Jesus Christ. You can't read those scripture verses there together and miss the word one coming up over and all. Paul is saying, come on team, we need to walk worthy together of the gospel of which you've been called. There are seven ones in this list. Seven in Scripture is a perfect number. It is no uh, happenstance that Paul would have put things together in this way. The number seven always represents completeness. There are two lists he kind of puts together here. Equal lists of three and then final one, and then he magnifies that final one a little bit. Check these two lists out. There's one body, one spirit, and one hope. That's the first list. Then there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And then all of those point to our oneness, our unity with one God and Father of all. So first list, one body, one spirit, one hope. Second list, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, all encapsulated together in the oneness of God through one God and Father of all. And then these three descriptions to go even farther, who is over all, through all, and in all. 
we as individual members of the church have been brought into the oneness of God so that we two together are one. Are you picking up what Paul is trying to emphasize here? We are together as one. We are a community. When we went this week down to Baton Rouge, we are going into an area that none of us have ever been before. And within minutes, within just a few minutes of arriving there, you start to feel part of the community. We responded with the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief Teams, and we made our way in, and we pull in, and we've got our logo on the side of our trailer. It says New York State, and there's logos that say Missouri and Texas and Oklahoma and all these different places coming together. We are the farthest north of all the states, but that's the other point. So we all come together. You see all these all these people coming together, and, and every night there's groups of 10 or 15 that come in, and the next morning groups of 10 or 15 that are leaving, and you have all of them interweaved, and we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all there for the same purpose and the community that forms in that, the desire to help and to serve because we are one in the body of Christ. And when you see that work together, you see all these churches working together, you see operationalizing what it looks like to be the body of Christ and what it looks like to meet the needs in that area and what it looks like to support that local church, Zor Baptist Church in that area, trying to meet the need that is way beyond what that church could ever do by itself. But we are one. We are a community that's formed around it. And, and we were a mud team, and we were the ones going in the houses, but there were other teams doing other things. They had a spray team. You'd go in afterwards and, and spray after the mold had been cleaned away. Now you spray it so that it can't come back. You have uh, teams working to provide meals for everyone. There was more than 15,000 meals a day going out to the survivors of this flood. And do you know how many people that takes? It's, a, it's huge. I can't even use the right words to describe how that was. You see, all of those pieces and parts come together. There's a community that forms. This is the basics of the body of Christ. Community. When you put all those things together and you see how God moves and how God works, and we get to be a part of that. You get to drive 25 hours, 23 hours, whatever it was, to be there, and you just come in and you just fit right in. Why? Because you're a part of the extended body of Christ. If the church is a team sport, why would you want to go it alone? Well, first, I think you've missed the basics of biblical unity, community. Secondly, we ignore or we've missed the benefits of biblical unity, diversity. You've missed the benefits of biblical unity, diversity. Verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it, is what it says in the NIV. If you're looking at a different version, maybe the ESV says this, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For us to be unified does not mean we have to be uniform. Unity does not mean uniformity. It does not mean that all Christians are going to think alike or act alike or behave exactly in the same manner. But it does imply that there's a common purpose, a common intentionality, common interdependence on one another. This capacity is commonly called spiritual gifts. Today's message is not on spiritual gifts because this text isn't specifically about spiritual gifts, but there's two kind of main things that are being said here that I want to talk about in regards to spiritual gifts. First of all, spiritual gifts are given to every Christian. Verse 7 says, to each one of us was given. Every follower of Christ has a spiritual gift that was given to them. That's a blanket statement. Second general statement that is being said here in verse 7, spiritual gifts are a gift of grace. Grace was given so that you could 
act out the spiritual gift that was given to you and to me as a follower of Christ. There's a pastor out in Rochester that I don't know if he's coined this phrase, but I've at least heard him say it a number of times. Approach trumps content every time. How you approach a situation will determine how that person hears you. Regardless of what you have to say, if you come in with the wrong attitude, if you come in from the side and you should be coming in from straight on, they're going to miss it. They don't want to hear it if, if, if the approach is done incorrectly. And so God has given each one of us, each one of you, a measure of grace for the gift that he has given you, to be able to approach things in the same manner, to temper that and to balance that. But when we talk about the benefits of biblical union, we're talking about diversity. And so let's look here specifically, the diversity that Christ has given, the spiritual leadership for the church. Jump down to verse 11, if you will. So Christ himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. I'm going to move quickly through here. I want to describe to you what each of these roles are. These are the types, if you will, of elders, pastors in the local church, leadership of the local church. First, it says apostles. Apostles do this. They extend the gospel. They are the sent ones. They ensure that the faith is transmitted from one context to the next, that it's not enough to be here in this zip code, but we need to go to other zip codes. They're always thinking about the future, about how to bridge barriers, how to go out, how to develop leaders, how to work locally and translocally, to network together to go forward. But there are some negatives with these type of people. If you focus solely on initiating new ideas and rapid expansion, you can leave people and organizations wounded if you're moving too quickly. The, the other functions that we're getting to in a second, the shepherding or the teaching functions need to be there to make sure that people are cared for because this person is running 100 miles an hour. That's the apostle. Secondly, the prophets. Prophet knows God's will. In the Old Testament, you hear the statement, thus saith the Lord, over and over and over again. The New Testament is no different. This is what a prophet is. They're particularly attuned to God and his truth for today. They bring correction and challenge the dominant assumptions that we inherit from culture. So they're talking to the church, the existing church, or God's people, and saying, Listen, you're getting off track. They're the bumpers and bumper bowling. They're keeping us back in, the, in, in, in track and make sure we've not gotten too far away. What is it that God is saying to the church? They question the status quo. They correct the existing believer. Again, there's a negative that comes with that. Without other types of leaders in place, prophets can become belligerent activists or to some extent disengage from the imperfections of reality because they see it everywhere they look. They can't help it and they see those imperfections and they become disenchanted, disenfranchised and start to step away entirely. That's a prophet. So we've got apostles, prophets, evangelists. You know an evangelist, most of you, when you see him. Evangelists tell and retell the gospel story of Jesus Christ. The greatest evangelist in our day is Billy Graham. These infectious communicators, they just constantly share the gospel. And they say, I, you know, are you sick? You know, are you not feeling well this morning? Don't take time and I'll take the gospel. You know, like, you just need the gospel. You need the gospel. You need the gospel. They call for a personal response to God's redemption in Christ, and they draw believers to engage in the mission of the growing church. That's what an evangelist does. But an evangelist can be focused so much on reaching those that are outside of the church that they lose entirely the focus on discipling those who are and maturing those and strengthening those that are inside the church or inside uh, the, the umbrella of believers. And they, they leave people neglected and wanting. So you need these people. The next one, shepherds. 
or pastors, depending on your translation here of, of what you're looking at. Those, those words are synonymous, synonymous, the shepherd or the pastor. They nurture and they protect. They're caregivers for the community. They focus on the protection and the spiritual maturity of God's flock. That's why he's told to shepherd the flock, cultivating a loving and spiritual mature network of relationships, making and developing disciples. That's the role of the shepherd is to take care of the flock, develop the flock. But shepherds can value stability to the detriment of the mission. Say, man, we feel good. These sheep are being well taken care of. They are healthy and thriving, and that's all we need. We don't need anyone else or anything else. They foster an unhealthy dependence between the church and themselves at times. That the church starts to focus so much on that shepherd and the shepherd says, well, I need the sheep and they don't focus on anyone else or anything else. And so they need some of the others there. The teachers, they understand, they explain. They're communicators of God's truth and wisdom. They help others to remain biblically grounded and better discern God's will. They guide others towards wisdom and helping the community to remain faithful in God's word. So the prophet says, thus saith the Lord. The teacher says, what does the Bible say about that? If we don't have a specific thing to look to, how do we find out, how do we find out the answer to that? There's got to be more there. But without the input of the other functions, teachers can fall into dogmatic practices or dry intellectualism where they're just going through and talking through all the small, minute details that fail to see the personal or the missional aspects of what the church is meant to be, the local church. So you've got these five gifts, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher. But you would never see, or you would not, it would be rare to see all five of those gifts in one local church, all at the same place at the same time. That leadership is going to exist most likely in a region or in a local area. You're going to see, okay, if churches can work together, if we can work with one another, you're going to see that this, this church or this leader of this church, this pastor has that ap- apostle gift and this pastor has the prophet gift and, and this group of pastors, they are the evangelists and we can challenge one another and work with one another and that's what happens when churches work together in a region or even in this case, as I just experienced last week, over a large reason happens to be the United States of America. When you put all of that together and you start to see the way that we can, uh, as iron sharpens iron, we can bring each other together. What is the purpose of these gifts, though? Can't lose focus there. Verse 12. The purpose of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher is to equip his people for works of service that the body of Christ may be built up. The responsibility of all of that leadership, the responsibility is to equip the believers to do the work of the Lord. If church is a team sport, why would you choose to go it alone? The whole responsibility, the whole leadership structure is to connect the body one to another, to unify, to equip. Why would we go it alone? Because we've missed it. We've missed the basics, community. We've missed the benefits, diversity. Thirdly, we've missed the beauty of biblical unity. We've missed the beauty of biblical unity, which result is maturity. Which result is maturity. Verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, 
Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The illustration that you see here, the parts that are coming together as a body, is is an illustration that's talking about maturity and stability. About two weeks ago, our staff, we took time because we have the new staff together. We've got Brian and Mario and others who are coming together and some of the team from Renewal, and we haven't spent much time together. And so as we're getting ready kind of for this fall push of some of the things we're doing this fall, we got together, and if you've been downtown to see them, there's these uh, little like golf cart buses, if you will, and they are powered by bicycle pedals. And so there's up to 13 of us, and so we all pedaled our way around, uh, and so we had to work together as a team to pedal your way around and find your way around the city. It's kind of a tour thing that we did. So it was fantastic. We got to see all these buildings walk in, and there's some really neat architecture here. But one of the things that he took us by is on Franklin, 404 Franklin to be exact, there's an old, old sycamore tree. Anyone familiar with this? Have you seen this? All right, 404 Franklin, go check it out. It's a big, enormous sycamore tree that they think is in, in uh, 1960 they thought it was 250 years old at that time frame that's the plaque that's on the side of it so we're getting you know 300 year old tree right there in Buffalo and so that illustration of the tree is something that is steadfast it is stable it is mature and so stability is something that is there if you think about not just here in Western New York, the, the old trees that we find throughout the United States or even throughout the world, think of some of the things that those trees have experienced, that they've, they've lived through. In Baton Rouge, we were just there in Baton Rouge, and, and everything is, is everywhere. You've got homes that are destroyed, and you've got, from the flood, they've carried everything out to the street, and you've got cars laying in the middle of people's yards and all that, and then you've got these trees And they don't look like anything's happened. There's nothing, virtually nothing different about that tree post-flood as it was prior to the flood. It has survived the flood. Why? Because it's mature. It is stable. It is steadfast. Think about the things that trees have survived. They survived car accidents. Uh, Here, we've got trees standing, that 300-year-old tree after the ice storm, the October storm. It's still standing. Uh, In New York City, today is 9-11. If you go to New York City, there's some magnificent trees that are within less than a block away from where the towers fell, and they're still standing. Somehow they survive. How does that happen? Those roots, those roots run deep. There's forest fires in California. I got to see this summer. These redwood trees, they they just, they survive. They've got, within their bark, they've got a system that is basically fireproof. They can't be touched. They can't be hurt. So that's the illustration that we see here of, of, of maturity and of, of stability and steadfastness. The stability in which Paul is referring to is being so well grounded in God's word. The roots go so deep that we recognize and avoid those who would teach otherwise or have impure motives or questionable methods or, or try to get you to reject the teachings of God's word. It's illustrated here uh, in verse 14. It says the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming that is trying to pull you away from what is being taught here. He says, let your roots go deeper there. Don't be blown about and tossed by the wind, by the waves. Don't be pulled away. Have your roots go deeper. Immaturity here is equated with instability, wavering every time some new teaching is introduced. So we're not going to be that way. We're not going to be unstable in every way. Instead, we would want to see something different. 
What would it look like if we were united? What if we were one as a church? Then we would habitually choose to love God, to love each other, and love our world. Day after day, that's what a habit is, right? It's something that you've done day after day after day. Some of you get up in the morning and you put your feet in your slippers and you walk across the room. Why? Because you've done it every single day of your life. And if your slippers aren't there, it's going to mess things up. It's a comical way to talk about something that's much deeper here. Choosing to love God, love each other, and love our world. And John 13, verse 34 says, A new command I give you, you've heard this, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love another, one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love is the root of all of these things. We are better together if we love one another. This is how all men will know that you are my disciples if you are loving and do loving things and you love each other. The church isn't always a loving place. But I'll tell you, if we live scripturally, we are better together. Here's why. Together, we want to know the truth of Christ. So we will guard each other from deception. Together, we want to imitate the character of Christ. So we will guard each other from division. Together, we want to display the fullness of Christ. So we will guard one another and pull one another away from distractions. We are better together when we are united. Practically speaking, and we're going to talk about this over the next number of weeks as we're talking through this series, we are better together. And and many of you know because you've been in the meetings as we've started to make this transition, we are doing something here at Randall Church called Care Corridors. It's taken us a while to put these pieces together, but after the service on your way out, you can get a sheet of paper and you'll you'll get to understand a little bit more of what's going on there. I couldn't give it ahead of time because none of you would pay attention after that. So beyond the way out, you'll get this. But what we've done is we've taken all of you who have attended the church, all of you who are regular attenders here at the church or or, or greater or the membership, we've, we've put all of that, flagged it out, put it on a map. It's okay, this is where our people are coming from. And so how can we do our very best to take care and unite this church? What can we do in the very best way to do that? And that's where this care corridors idea has come from. And so what we realized last year particularly, because we had staff leave and we were struggling going through things, is we as an organizational structure had an elder bottleneck, I'll call it. It's because of our elder structure, because things do go through the elders. When the elders and that team are working on other things, in this case it was uh, taking care of uh, hurt and wounded people in the church as well as looking for a new pastor and going through all of that. As we're taking all those additional steps, you realize that there are people who can fall through the cracks, and they did. And if that was one of you, we're sorry. We apologize for that. We are trying to make amends for that and fix that so that we can deal with that going forward. So we are better together. So what we're doing, we are geography-based. We have uh, taken the area and drawn it out on a map of where are people coming from, how can we group them together so that we can better serve this community. In those areas, we see 12 to 24 family units in different areas. And we've come up with weird names for them. There's probably better names, but there's names like the airport corridor. If you can't figure that out, it means you can probably see the airport from your house, okay? The uh, Harris Hill Corridor. You probably drive on the Harris Hill on your way back and forth. That's the idea. Those are some of the ideas that we've put together so you can just figure out these are the areas that you're in. 
So you've got 12 to 24 family units geographically based in that area. In that area, you have four deacons and or deaconesses in most cases uh, who are there to serve and meet the physical needs in that area. So when there's something going on specific to the Lancaster School District, there are people over there in that Harris Hill corridor that understand that because they are all living in the same area. And then you've got the elder uh, responsible for that area, and the elder is responsible for the spiritual stability and maturity of those 12 to 24 families. So practically speaking, what you will see is that elder will contact everyone on that list, the 12 to 24 people, on an annual basis to do at least a spiritual check-in. How are you doing? Uh, as you are raising your kids, what are some of the struggles that you are having? As you are uh, a newlywed couple, how was your first year? How did that go? How can we help mentor you along in the process? Uh, how can we connect you to some of our couples who have been married for 50 years plus here in this church? How can we make those things happen? How do we make that work? And so as we organize in that way, it is all about the unity and, and the connectivity of the local church. I will tell you, this is not the members only club. If you hear me saying that this morning, you have missed all of what I've said. Yes, there are members on that list, but if, if you want to be on those lists, that's what today is about in the next number of weeks with this series to say, I want to be connected to what I see going on there. That doesn't mean you have to be a member. If there is someone on your street that doesn't want anything to do with the church, but they are open to saying, yes, I would like to receive a phone call from one elder on a yearly basis. I would be open to having a deacon or a deaconess visit and just check in and see about the physical needs they have. That's what this is for. Why? because they will know you are Christians by your love. And if we are a church who looks for opportunities everywhere we go to connect one to another, to unite the church rather than divide the church, we will see the power that comes because we are better together. We are united. We are one. We are ready to love. We are better together. So in closing as the band comes, what we're going to do this morning though is ask you this. It's a DTR for those of you who are probably college age and younger. Define the relationship. Define the relationship. I want to encourage every follower of Christ here this morning and encourage you to define the relationship. No more dating to make the commitment. I want to change you to become a point where you are going to commit to the local church. We've got DNA membership sessions that are starting up next week. If you want to become a part of this local church, we want you to, to join us in that. If you're on the fence to become a partner or to become a, a member at another church, do that. That's okay. But you should be connected to the body of Christ in that way, in that method of finding where is it that you connect. Because when, when you are united, when you're connected to that bigger piece and you stop dating, you'll, you'll find and you'll realize, then praise God, he is at work in this area and in this region. As I said at the beginning, if you don't know Jesus, I pray that today's message, that as you looked at the text today, you look at this book of Ephesians, that you see the beauty of what Jesus Christ died for on the cross, what he gave his son for, his very son in your place and mine on the cross was so that he could see the local church thrive, that he could see us love one another, that he could see us love those who are far from him. That's what Jesus died for, and that's what we celebrate today.